Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, I'm Josh Levine, Slate's national editor and the author of The Queen. This is Hang Up and Listen, and it is the dreaded emergency podcast we're recording on March 12th, 2020. The day, well, I guess maybe March 11th is the day that sports came to a halt in America and across the world. Uh, Joining me not from our D.C. studio, from his home in D.C., we're uh, separated uh, geographically but not in spirit. It's Stefan Fatsis, author of the book's Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. Hello, Stefan. Hi, Josh. And joining us from Palo Alto, it's Slate staff writer, host of Slow Burn Season 3, Joel Anderson. Hello, Joel. Good morning. You know, we're all assembled here for the obvious reason that there will soon be no sports to talk about. So maybe we should chat about them now while we can. The NBA suspended its season on Wednesday night after uh, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive for the coronavirus. We learned on Thursday that his teammate Donovan Mitchell had also tested positive. Um, we should stipulate uh, from the top, Stefan, that uh, we are recording this on Thursday morning. News of league suspensions, postponements, cancellations are coming in as we're recording this. And so all of the information we're sharing here might be out of date by the time you listen to this. But can you just run through what we know right now as we're recording? Sure, Josh. Um, first, you have to say that the scenes late last night as the Rudy Gobert situation unfolded were, to me, among the most dramatic news scenes in sports. I don't know, going back to Magic Johnson's press conference when he announced that he had HIV, I mean, it was stunning from the Woj bomb, the NBA is suspending its season, which sort of capped off this bizarre scene in Oklahoma City where this game was about to start between the Jazz and the the Thunder, and a doctor runs onto the court and they confer with the referees. Chris Paul runs over to the Jazz to, and asks if there's something wrong with Rudy Gobert, and they sort of push him away. The players leave the court. The stadium announcer orders everyone to leave. It was just a stunning if not in retrospect, you know, 12 hours later, retrospect, entirely surprising turn of events. So what do we know? Um, we know that Donovan Mitchell, as you said, has tested positive. We know the NBA is on an indefinite hiatus. We know that other players are beginning to be reported to have, um, to have coronavirus, not just Mitchell, a player on Juventus in Italy, a player on the German soccer club Hanover, have tested positive. Players on Leicester in England are reportedly showing symptoms. Real Madrid players are in quarantine. This is just going to be a daily flow of news and events, and it certainly, if it wasn't already dramatic and apparent, when you start hearing that athletes are testing positive or celebrities are testing positive, like Tom Hanks, it becomes all the more more 
frightening and 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 newsworthy. Yeah, I I, I agree, and I, I think you know Rudy Gobert is, is in in this way sort of the perfect snapshot of the collective American response to coronavirus because it was a couple days ago that you know the video emerges of him at this press conference and he you know jokingly touches the reporters' recorders and touches the mics and breathes over them before he walks off the set. And then, you know, two days later, he's, you know, right at the center of the NBA's, you know, pretty much unprecedented shutdown. And I think it's a testament to like how quickly we've got a grasp of how serious this is. Now, obviously, there are people far outside of sports that are dealing with much more serious implications uh, from COVID-19. But um, I think that it really took what the NBA did last night, it was it actually within a span of 35 minutes, like the world fell apart uh, in that way, because you had Trump's address, you had the Rudy Gobert news, you had the NBA, you know, suspending its season, like all, all this torrent of news came at once. And it was just, you could see Americans, a lot of them for the first time, like getting their head around how serious this is and how disruptive it's going to be. Like, cause I, I think that a right. lot of people thought, Oh, well, we'll still have, sports to lean on or we'll still have you know tv content to 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 get us through this time and not that much will change i'll have to make a few adjustments and wash my hands but it won't necessarily mean a change of lifestyle or habits for me and you could just see within that half hour last night which would have been nine o'clock out on the east six o'clock out here that everybody just kind of got a hold of themselves and like oh wow like this is going to be one of the most disruptive moments in american history so we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about this, and I think our conversations have paralleled the larger discourse when we initially are talking about it. We're like, you know, looking back to 1918, for example, and it seems really far away and hard to imagine what it could possibly be like. Then when we talked about it earlier this week, the kind of new reality that we're dealing with is, oh, LeBron doesn't realize we're going to need to play without fans, but he'll get on board. We're all sort of realizing it. And then, you know, fast forward 48 hours later, and we're the ones who seem naive. It's like, obviously, this is what was going to happen because it only takes one person in the entire universe of people involved in this league, players, coaches, writers, referees. If anybody tests positive for this virus, there is going to be a shutdown. And it seems ridiculous that it didn't occurred to us at the time, but I think it is, it does take a player, you know, testing positive for us to realize um, the extent of this. And for sports, I think, to understand that there's nothing kind of special about being uh, a pro league that millions of people watch and follow and that, you know, where 20,000 people will come out to games, that actually puts people more at risk rather than um, having it be special and requiring some sort of, you know, special dispensation that sports should be exempt. And I think, you know, for as savvy as we think that we are, I think we were all kind of there, even if we didn't think we were until Wednesday night. Yeah, I think that's right, Josh, because, you know, we were talking about the hypocrisy of the Ivy League, for instance, taking this dramatic step of canceling its uh, playoff tournament, its conference tournament, but allowing the two declared champions to travel to play in the NCAAs, which was right, 
the problem was we didn't say, well, they shouldn't be playing the NCAAs in front of no fans, in front of any fans or you know, at all. Um, it was the at all that we were missing. Um, some writers were picking up on it as of, you know, as of Tuesday and Wednesday. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated had a piece talking about how the NBA, and he specifically said this, the NBA, if it has a patient zero, they're going to have to shut this down. And that's exactly what happened. And who looks really naive now as we talk? It's every event and every league that hasn't shut it down. You know, Major League Baseball, as of right now, is still deliberating what to do. Should we play in Florida or Arizona? Well, we'd rather play in in Major League ballparks and not in other facilities. Uh, Kenny Rosenthal is reporting for The Athletic on uh, Thursday morning. These decisions are all going to be taken out of these leagues' hands. I mean, the NHL, for instance, as of now, also has been sort of, as of right now, we're consulting, and we don't know what to do. They canceled morning skates on Thursday, but didn't take any more serious action. I mean, what's really incredibly naive is to consider that 48 hours ago, the question that was being discussed in sports was a collective action by some of the pro <laughs> leagues to bar reporters from locker rooms. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, you could argue that even the pro leagues were being more thoughtful about this than a lot of the college and, and sub-professional leagues. By the time we're done recording this podcast, things could have changed. But the XFL hasn't necessarily said that they're going to do in, you know cancel games. There, there were college basketball games going on last night while the country is in a full-blown panic. ACC basketball tournament said that they were planning on still holding games today in front of you know limited, a limited audience. And so one thing that sort of occurred to me is that the people with the least labor protections in big-time sports are still out there playing. And you get a sense for how reckless organizations and people are willing to be if they can't uh, assert their labor, their labor protections, right? And I'm not, you know... I mean, there's no reason why the NCAA or these colleges say, hey, look, we might as well just shut things down. There's there's really no risk in being overly cautious right now, you know? Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It was really dramatic last night, Josh. Watching on one channel the NBA shutting down and then flicking over to any of the ESPNs and seeing like North Carolina playing in the ACC tournament with plenty of fans in the stands Uh, or the U S women's soccer team was playing Japan in the last game of a tournament. Um, it, It was striking. And for me, it just was the reminder that, you know, none of this shit matters. We like to pretend that sports have this important bonding and cathartic effect, but boy, has that been rendered um, mute. Strong disagree there. I think that we need to give space for the fact that it sucks that this is this is happening. It does matter. Sports is a genuinely uh, an activity 
that people bond over and that can provide a respite and a, a sense of normalcy when shit is just going totally insane. I am going to miss being able to watch uh, basketball. I love right. the- well, we, we were all thinking, well, if we're all locked up in our houses, at least we can watch the tournament. Yeah, the problem is that, though, that all these games are played by people, yeah. you know, yes. and, they, and, and, and they're fueled by pe- all the people around them that are around them and then the people that they go home to and possibly affect. And so I, I agree, like, sports is important. I would love to sit and watch the Lakers play the Clippers on a soundstage, you know, and, uh, you know, play a game where, where everybody's mic'd up and you can't hear the fans so we can really get to the, you know, behind the scenes of the NBA, but... I, I, I don't know, and I don't want to speak for Stefan, but I think the issue is that in the whole scheme of things, we really have to put sports in their proper context. And, that, and, and just in with the rest of whatever is going on in the country right now and in the world, we have to say, you know what? We just really can't afford to play games right now because ultimately that's what they are. They're games. Yeah, I, ag- I agree. And I think um, it's one thing to say that and acknowledge that, but I think the reason these decisions are difficult for the leagues is that there are financial ramifications here. The reason this is difficult for people that love sports, that watch sports and care about sports is that it's sad that um, it's come to this. And it's an indication, you know, the fact that in order to contain this virus, to have social distancing, to flatten the curve, we need to do things that are very dramatic and that are outside the norm. And the reason that they're outside the norm is that we don't want to do them. <laughs> we, we do want to watch these games. We do want players to play them. Yeah, we want to watch them and we want to go to them. And some of the reactions in Europe have also been pretty jarring. PSG played in the Champions League on Wednesday in an empty stadium in Paris, but hundreds and hundreds of PSG fans gathered outside the stadium before and during the game, defying a city or a national ban on gatherings of more than a thousand people, except in the event of protest. So they were arguing that this constitutes protest. And this is in Europe where it's, as in the United States, there is tremendous risk. And there was a piece by Joshua Robinson in the Wall Street Journal who was there, and he reported that the fans had a, a huge flag that they unfurled outside the arena, which said the virus is us. Fans are crazy, and there's a lot of denial. And if you go look at comments under Twitter posts or, or, or under stories, you're going to see a lot of people saying this is an overreaction. Still, we want our sports. The reason I think people think this is an overreaction is because First of all, I mean, it's really difficult to know, like, where the most reliable information, you know, our government institutions are not functioning in the way that they normally would, right? Or, you know, there's a change at the top here. And so we can't be certain that the right information is getting out. Um, so I do think that that's a problem. But I also just think people don't want to be inconvenienced. I mean, I'm still leaving the house and going to do things I'm not supposed to be self-quarantined or anything, but I don't want to disturb my life either. I'm still ordering food from people who may be exposed to coronavirus. I still went to the grocery store yesterday. We're all doing these things, and we don't want anything to change because we don't think anything should fundamentally have to change, and that's going to be the biggest problem here. I mean, I'm thinking in Texas, 
right now, they're scheduled to play their boys state high school basketball tournament this weekend in, in San Antonio. In light of they've canceled the rodeo in Houston, they've canceled South by Southwest in Austin, and they're still trying to host a fairly big event there. Um, and it just it, it it we just have not accepted that that's not the way that life is going to be. I, it, it will be really interesting to see if by Saturday, who's going to fly in the face of the best practices and try to hold these large events. Because um, I think it'll tell us something about those people. I mean, again, if the Knicks and the Wizards had their way, they would be hosting games this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the Wizards uh, were defying direction from D.C. about not holding large events. There were certain organizations, and it does seem kind of telling which ones they were, that mm-hmm. um, were disregarding advice and and seemed to think that they, you know, didn't have to play by the rule, same rules as anybody uh, else did. I mean, on the kind of flip side of that, uh, one thing that's been really fascinating to see and a lot of people are noticing is that the Jazz and Thunder players and personnel seem to have no problem getting access to coronavirus testing when mm-hmm. pretty much nobody else in the country is able to uh, get those tests. And that was another Big thing, Stefan, that I think um, was part of the response to Wednesday night when all of this stuff was coming to a head and people were starting to realize, you know, what we're facing here as a society is that the kind of inequalities and fundamental unfairness of our healthcare system, of our political system, and and how that manifested in this really high profile case where these star athletes and the people around them are able to get treatment and access that others can't? Well, I think that there's a fundamental unfairness there, but the reality here, Josh, is that there's a fundamental incompetence here. This is less about the structure of the American healthcare system than it is about the inability of our government to have planned for this, to have accepted the reality that was being um, articulated by the World Health Organization to have accepted an offer of an existing test for this um, weeks and weeks ago when it would have mattered. And, and we wouldn't be here saying that, well, Rudy Gobert and the Jazz and the Thunder got tested, but some regular person that's been on the phone on hold with the state health department for four hours trying to explain their symptoms can't get tested. In a, in a better world, in a, in a more competent governance world, everyone would be tested. There'd be drive-through clinics in every friggin' state, and everyone who needed would be, be tested there. And, and, you know, what this shows, if anything, it just highlights, yes, the exceptionalism of sports in America. And that's not to minimize the fact that, like, all of these players are potential carriers and would have gone into airplanes and back to their communities, and they all need to be tested. It's urgent. Um, but but thousands and thousands of other Americans do too. Jason Concepcion just posted a graphic, Jason Concepcion, aka Network, on Twitter, saying that Johns Hopkins in Maryland has a COVID-19 testing capacity of 50 total patients per day. Apparently, 58 tests went to NBA players on Wednesday. So the NBA has a better testing capacity than Johns Hopkins. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah, that's, that's fucked really up. Bad. That's really bad. I don't know, man. I guess the thing is, is that we're going to have to, you know, I mean, it's bringing all these things to light. But, you know, at the end of the day, right now, it seems like the NBA is about one of the best 
best or better run organizations and institutions left in American life because they took the lead on this in a really precarious time. Like, it's not like they've had a great year, you know, uh, starting off with China. They've had Kobe's death. They've had low ratings all year long. Like, it's been bad news after bad news after bad news for the NBA this year. They could use this money. They could use the revenue that is coming in right now. They could use the exposure. They'll have the sports scene to themselves. But they were willing, in a moment of crisis, to take a lead and do a really drastic action. And that's, I mean, even though, you know, obviously there's a lot of inequities and they've had the ability to get these coronavirus tests before anybody else. But I think it also is important to point out they're willing to make a hard decision where a lot of other people are not. They They stuck their necks out there. And for that, they should be applauded. If you're a player in the NBA, you should be heartened that the NBA was prepared enough to find a way to make sure that this testing capability was available to its employees. Yeah, that's a great point. And the NBA has not made other hard decisions. So this is not, uh, you know, praise that should, you know, blanket over that. But in this case, they did. And, you know, Joel, I think you're right to um, remind people that, you know, there, we saw Mark Cuban on the sidelines of the Mavs game on Wednesday night looking at his phone and being shocked that the NBA suspended its season. So this was, even for people who are the most powerful, the biggest stakeholders in the league, this was a surprise. This wasn't unexpected. And so that shouldn't be minimized. And And it's also, I think, important to point out and fair to Mark Cuban to note that he had a press conference after all this went down, and one of the things he talked about was ensuring that the part-time and full-time employees that work for the arena who are going to be hardshipped by the NBA shutting down, finding a way that the team would find a way to compensate them. So let's talk about what happens next. Um, the players for Juventus, where Stefan, you noted at the top of the show, uh, a guy tested positive. They're quarantined for 14 days. The absolute minimum that any league that suspends could restart is in 14 days, and that is just not going to happen. Um, I just saw a tweet um, indicating that the owner of an MLS team said their target is 30 days. Mark Cuban said on ESPN on Thursday morning the NBA might play until August. You know, just being honest uh, with the hang-up listeners, we have no idea what's going to no. happen. Um, but it does seem plausible that leagues will extend their seasons and arena availability and TV availability all factors in. And with the NBA, there's the question of the Olympics, which are scheduled to happen in July if they happen. So this is just an enormous mess to try to puzzle through. Well, one, one parallel might be the Chinese Basketball League, and it shut down for 10 weeks before resuming. Um, I think you're looking at, for baseball, certainly a shortened schedule, which, hey, not the worst idea under any circumstances. <laughs> Maybe we don't ever have to go back. Yeah. Maybe it can be shortened every Why year. not? The NBA has been talking about shortening its schedule for a while. Here's a chance to do that. And I think if, if these leagues do insist on completing their schedules, and that's what I gather is being discussed in Europe, they're talking about canceling the rest of the Champions League and the Europa League and pushing the Euros, the National European Championship, to 2021 from this summer, which would allow the domestic leagues to complete their schedules. So I think you just get a lot of the ancillary stuff canceled. I mean, at this point, you have to think that the Olympics 
are going to either get postponed until next summer or take place in some, some drastically reduced fashion. I mean, maybe there's no basketball tournament in the Olympics because the NBA needs to drag its season into the summer because the domestic revenue is far more important than the, the PR boost of staying in the Olympics or we send a college team. I mean, I think there are lots of things that could happen, but I think for starters, it's what are the leagues that have these huge financial commitments to the players, to sponsors, to vendors, what are they going to do to ensure that the business gets up as soon as it is, is, is safe for the businesses to get up? And I think that's where the leagues are going to have to get to, that we can't do anything until it's safe. I mean, I, that, the thing is, though, that we, we may all be sort of naive about how long it'll be until things get back to normal, right? Um, you know, it, it, it could be the rest of the year or, or longer, you know, and I, I just don't. Totally. There's really not a way to get our heads around that because we none of us have ever lived through anything like this before. But yeah, I mean, it, it's totally plausible that we won't have the Olympics, we won't have the NBA Finals, we won't have you know. I mean, right now we're pretty much looking at a situation where they're not going to be able to have the NFL draft as an event, right? They'll they'll be able to draft players, but they won't have an event uh, in, in in Las Vegas. We're going to see some unprecedented cancellations. And suspensions in the next few days, weeks, months. It'll be interesting to see who's able to kind of come back and recover from this too, right? So when baseball canceled the World Series, it was in 94. It took a while for things to get back, you know, to get back up to speed. And what we're talking about now is like essentially a, a global crash, a global recession. And I'll, it will be interesting to see who's able to recover from this because this is, it's not just that we'll be able to get things back up and going again, you know, once this is all over, if it is ever all over it's like who's going to be able to survive and manage you know to come out of this unscathed and just get and have the infrastructure to get started again yeah i don't want to sound like a business school jackass but it is like a test of leadership and resiliency and flexibility for these leagues and and corporations and who's gonna be able to figure out how to adjust on the fly how to modify schedules deal with all of these problems um, and figure out how to make it work. It's going to be really telling, I think. Um, and there are just all these really small things that we don't think about, like, you know, scouts are, you know, unsure about whether they're going to have to spend all this time on the road looking at, at players and I think are concerned about what the ramifications are of all of that travel. One thing that had not occurred to me that I saw somebody writing yesterday is like, what's going to happen to my NBA <laughs> fantasy league, which is very, uh, very funny. Um, but it, uh, it, it basically uh, throws a wrench into every possible thing a wrench could be thrown in. So I guess we'll just be simulating the rest of the season on NBA 2K, Stefan. I will, I will control the Pelicans. <laughs> You know, in one way, this is kind of as unprecedented as anything we've seen in sports since World War II, because this isn't a labor fight. This isn't, you know, we're waiting for TV contracts to come down the pike. We're negotiating a new deal. This is something where nobody can fight over. And there, there are provisions in these labor agreements with leagues that exempt the leagues from having to pay the players in the event of epidemics. Those are, that's listed. 
um, as force majeure in these in these contracts. You know, will the NBA and Major League Baseball and the NHL enforce that? How will they recoup all of this lost revenue? Will the players sue to to get paid? I mean, these are going to be billion dollar questions that are going to have to be resolved. They're going to be sponsors that are not able to recover from this too. I mean, you know, that's I mean, the people that yeah. that, that that pay to to, to to put these games on. They're gonna they're gonna be laying off people and unable to you know they're not going to have the same budget in a few months that they have now. It's just going to be really difficult to to get our minds around what even sponsors will be there when this all comes back um, and how many they're going to lose, like from the local sponsors to big national ones that are you know struggling as it is already in a tough economic year. If they'll even have the money that they that they used to have to to help put on and sponsor these games, well, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with March Madness because that I think is the height of contradiction and hypocrisy in American sports. We all love watching it while understanding, um, you know, in our brains that a, a lot of you know, what underlies it is immoral and and wrong just because of the way that the revenue is distributed and not distributed. Um, There's so much joy around it for the players, for fans, for non-sports fans, for people watching at home and in bars, um, filling out brackets. It's a communal activity. We're not going to have like the office pool this year because people aren't going to be in their offices Mostly, but it's a time when um, sports transcends sports, and that's really great. But um, it's also kind of dark for all the reasons that I laid out before. It seems impossible. Like we've talked about players maybe going on strike to protest during March Madness. No, that's not ever going to happen. It couldn't possibly happen. And so the the thought of either, as we're recording now on Thursday, the games being held without fans or the tournament not being held at all. For me, um, you know, the NBA suspending its season, it feels intense and unexpected and bizarre, but maybe that would actually um, make it hit home even more for me personally. Yeah, I don't think anybody will miss March Madness. It's such bad basketball, so... Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Joel. I just went on this beautiful (laughs) soliloquy. All right, here's here's my last thought. The ultimate test here would be the Super Bowl. And the NFL has kind of dodged this by not being in season. Oh, they can't have the draft as an event. Like, who gives a shit? That would have been amazing to see what the kind of, like, pretzel-twisting logic that would have been employed to make that game happen. I just cannot imagine any circumstance. If the virus was, like, literally attacking people in their faces in a visible way. I could not see um, Roger Goodell or the networks or the sponsors like saying, you know what? We're just not going to have the Super Bowl this year. Like even more than the Olympics, I just cannot fathom that. Well, I mean, just as an example of how high of regard we hold football in society. I mean, it was just yesterday that Virginia Tech canceled school-sponsored events before April 30th with more than 100 people, but at the same time announced that they still plan to hold their spring game on April 18th. 
Well, that's the spring game, Joel. You can't cancel that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't cancel the Virginia Tech spring game. I mean, God. But, I mean, just that's that gives you a sense of how important football is uh, in American culture. I'm pretty sure there would be some sort of logic about, well, we need to rally around something right now. And, you know, this is a way to show that Americans are together. If I'm, we get a big enough American flag, then everyone will be safe. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have one last question, though. If the NBA season drags into July and August... Can they draft players and have them play this season? That would be fun. <laughs> Great question. Well, well, fortunately, none of the players coming out this year are good enough to be helpful. So, Right. If this were last year? Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine getting Zion. Are they even going to be able to do that? Because players have to travel. They have to go to all these workouts in different towns. I mean, how do you even get around? Like, even logistically, that sounds, like, ridiculous. Yeah, man, but I'm looking forward here, Joel. No. <laughs> I'm trying to have something to think about for the next four months while there's no sports being played. All right. Well, we'll figure out something to talk about on Monday. I hope the listeners are uh, hunkering down. And, you know, the, the only cu- the only cure, uh, known cure, is listening to podcasts. That's what I've been told. I'm not a doctor, though. Wash your hands, please, guys. I'll say that again. That is our emergency show for today. Uh, Thank you very much to Rosemary Belson and June Thomas for helping us out with production and editing, filling in for Melissa Kaplan. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just reach out, go to slate.com slash hangup. You can email us at hangup at slate.com. For Joel Anderson and Stefan Fatsis, I'm Josh Levine. Remember Zelmo Beatty, and thanks for listening. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs>